in a way, there's something about the timing of this passage we're looking at today that that just seems fitting. What a nice text to open up at the start of a new year. This scripture in front of us about about putting away the old and, and putting on the new. But what New Year's only captures in a very shallow and secular sense, this this letter of Colossians is exploring at the deepest possible level and the spiritual level. So, so we might take a moment and just reflect a little bit on the letter so far, what we've learned, to make sure that we frame this chapter here right, so that we don't just come at this and, and take a shallow or secular hold of these things. The first half of the letter, if you remember, has told us who we are. Who we are by nature, we are spiritually dead in sin. That is who we are by nature. But in Christ, who we are, well, in Christ, our old, sinful, dead nature is buried and and we are raised now to life. As spiritual beings, we go from death to life in Jesus Christ. And the only way that can happen is in Jesus Christ, because in and of ourselves we were without hope. The natural penalty for sin is death. And so that death hung over all of us, because all of us are sinful. But in Christ, God has carried our death penalty for us, and and we therefore can live. So this gospel of Christ crucified has changed who we are. We once were dead in sin. Now we are alive in Jesus. To receive that spiritual life requires of us that we concede that, that yes, we are otherwise dead in our sin. And a lot of people therefore reject this gospel. They reject this free gift of spiritual life in Christ because well, because they reject the Bible's verdict that they were spiritually dead to begin with. They refuse to concede that they are actually that sinful. And that's understandable. Part of our sinful nature gives us a pride in ourself that blinds us to our sinfulness. But I want to say if if that is who you still are today, not having seen your sin and repented of your sin and trusted that Jesus has died for your sin, then then spiritually, according to these scriptures, you have no life in you yet. And so the second half of this letter that we're opening up today is not written to you at this time. And it may in fact do you more harm than good if you do come to this text, because it may divert you away from your vital and fundamental need for Christ, who died for your sin, to make you alive. So so I would invite you back instead into the first half of this letter. You must spend more time wrestling with that gospel before you come here into this text. But if you have received this gospel, if you have seen your sinfulness and repented and trusted in Christ for salvation, then then life is now yours. That was the thrust of the first part of the letter over and over again for you. Take it as certain truth from the word of God in Colossians 1 and 2. You have been made alive. The second part of this letter is for you. The first two chapters redefined who you now are in Christ. The second part of the letter is is about how we should all now live as his people. And, And to put it simply, how we now live 
needs to come into line with who we now are. How we now live needs to come into line with who we now are in Jesus Christ. And we must see those two things clearly. Who we now are is settled and done. In Jesus Christ, it's settled and done. We are alive and we are his. How we now live is ongoing. And it's a process that we are called into, a process of being brought more and more in line with who we now are. The first paragraph of our text in Colossians chapter 3 sets out those two things together, weaves them together. If then, verse 1, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's the reality of of who we are. We have been raised with Christ, verse 1. We have been raised with Christ. The old us, verse 3, has, has died and, and our life is hidden safely with Christ now and forever. When he appears again, verse 4, so too we will appear with him in glory. That is who we are. And yet woven into all of that is the call that is now upon us that flows out of that truth. We should set our minds on the things that are above, verse 1, verse 2. Not continue to be drawn in and dominated by the the appealing things of this world, but to fix our eyes on where we belong forever. And so that's the tension in front of us. How we now live needs to align with who we now are. Our old self is gone, verse 9. It's there again. Our old self is gone and the new self is here, verse 10. And so the scripture invites us to now examine how we live so that how we live comes to agreement with who we are. Do you see in that the tension between, between the already and the ongoing? Who we are is already settled. In Christ we belong to God. But there's also, therefore, the ongoing change that that leads to. We are now being renewed, verse 10, after the image of our Creator, as we live out the gospel life. Do forgive me if I'm laboring this point a little bit, but there's, there's actually a bunch of ways we could muck this up and, and get this call in our scripture in this chapter wrong. And, and we might we might touch on four of those ways that we could get this wrong to try to keep ourselves safe and, and get this right. The first mistake would be for us to come to this text in Colossians 3 and think that this here was the call that could make us right with God. That, that if we did all these things that are listed here, particularly from verse 5 onwards, if we did all this, that was what would be what would make us alive. But, but no, brothers and sisters, it's only in Christ that we are made alive. These things now we read about only follow that gospel as the way of the new life we have already been given. So I've already mentioned that it would be a mistake to come to this text if we haven't yet been given new life in Christ, who is crucified to pay for our sin. So too, the same danger would be right there in front of us if if we should uh, slip back into that way of thinking, which could 
happen if if we were to start taking pride in our new way of life or, or focus entirely on these things that we're called to do now and and forget who we already are in Christ. You know, you know, if we if we were to lose our hold on the gospel that saved us because of our comfort with or, or success with the gospel life that we're called into. A second mistake is there is the flip side of that actually. It would be to to come to Christ for salvation, but but not then come into this call of this ongoing renewal. You know, live in Colossians one and two, but but never step into three and four. To take on the gospel, but not the gospel life. And I'm afraid a great many people settle in that state. They adopt a posture of Jesus has me covered. But they aren't troubled by the ongoing sin in their life. But when people reject this gospel life that we're called into, they minimize Jesus to Saviour and they deny him his place as Lord. So if you have come to Christ and been made alive in Christ, then, then let me invite you clearly through this scripture into this gospel life it calls us to. Embrace Christ as your Lord. Take up this call and let him reshape you as to how you live. And become more and more like him. A third mistake would be to to come to Christ for salvation and come to this call to the gospel life, but try to redefine this call to how We'd have it. You'd cherry pick from these things that we're going to read or contextualize them. Culturally nuance these things to our way of thinking and, and to our liking. But would a righteous God have double standards? You know, one way of gospel life for Christians back then and, and another way of gospel life for us now? Haven't we been saved by the same gospel? Don't we follow the same Lord? We must read the words in this call as as they were intended by the author, not the readers. And, And yes, yes, that makes this text hard. Because there are certain things that are improper for us as Christians listed out here in this text. And the call upon us is that we should be putting these things to death. From verse 5, put to death sexual immorality. That's a catch-all word for any sexual activity outside the marriage relationship. Sex was designed as an expression of love between a husband and wife. Full stop. That is the Bible's teaching on sex. The whole biblical picture of Sex. And so, if you're not sure, here's a simple check you could use to figure out if what you're doing sexually or or thinking of doing sexually constitutes sexual immorality. Men, ask yourself this question. Am I with my wife? And only my wife. Women, ask yourself this. Am I with my husband? And only my husband. That's it. 
the answer to that needs to be a clear yes, or you are in the domain of what the Bible puts forward as sexual immorality. Impurity. Impurity is probably the broadest word here. It, it flags anything that is is unclean or, or immoral, and, and it extends deeper than our actions or possessions to our motives. We might ask, what things about me or in my life might make people a little bit doubtful as to whether I belong to Jesus? Is there anything muddying the water on that? Passion in this context is talking about lustful desire. Lustful desire. And Jesus taught us the danger of that, didn't he? He said, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. And the same applies the other way around, of course, to women. Things like pornography, checking out the bods on the beach, or or reading the wrong kind of novels. They're not just wrong because they could lead to other sins, lustful desire is wrong in and of itself. It is not right that Jesus' disciples should be characterized by this. Evil desire takes passion and makes it broader. Not just lustful desire, but, but to desire anything sinful or harmful or forbidden. A simple check, I guess. Why do I crave that thing? Will it honour Jesus? And covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness, covetousness is greed. To desire more than we should have. Perhaps it's eating or drinking more than is healthy. Or pursuing material possessions over and above what we need or should have. Or, or perhaps it's you know, the right brands or the spotlight or attention or status or whatever it is. It, it doesn't need to actually be achieved by us to constitute greed. Desiring what is unhealthy and unnecessary is the problem here. Greed is idolatry in our hearts. And such is our heart that we can make an idol out of anything. Through the insatiable discontent in our fallen sinful heart, we can make an idol out of anything. We need to be on our guard. These are very broad categories, aren't they, in this verse? And and we may not like this call to to be putting these things to death. But the bottom line is that they are things that we pursued in our old, sinful, spiritually dead selves. And and they're not the things that we're to keep pursuing now as the new, spiritually alive people that God has made us to be in Jesus Christ. God did not create us, nor recreate us, to pursue these ways of death. And in case we've forgotten On account of these things, verse 6, the wrath of God is coming. How can they possibly be fitting for us as God's people? And so the call of the gospel life is put there right in front of us, verse 7. In these things you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger and wrath. The emotional violence that boils over in us when our passions or our desires or our greed becomes 
too strong. We erupt at someone or, or something and, and we fall into sin. We're very good these days at justifying our anger or excusing it, but, but really we should just repent of it. Just because these things boil up so naturally doesn't, doesn't make them acceptable for us. We're called to put these things to death. We often think of malice. Malice, in, in terms of wishing or bringing about evil or, or trouble upon someone else, you know, like a, a vindictive kind of evil, but, but malice just means wickedness or depravity generally. Slander, an obscene talk from your mouth. Do we ever speak in a way that denigrates or defames others? Do we use shameful and vulgar speech? In our online, almost constant comment kind of culture, on platforms that afford a great deal of anonymity and, and distance, we are more susceptible, I, I would think, to, to slander and obscene talk than ever before. We must be careful. Do not lie to one another, verse 9. I mean, that one doesn't need me explaining, does it? We just need to stop watering down and justifying it when we do lie. All of these things from verse 5 through verse 9 are things that rise up out of the sinful nature. And therefore they are characteristics of those who are still spiritually dead. But we, brothers and sisters, have been made alive now in Christ. As the first half of the letter testified so powerfully to us, we've been made alive in Christ. He was crucified to pay for our sin. And the record of our sinful debt is no longer counted against us. So why would we still pursue these dead things that he's paid to set us free from? No, now we should be marked as Jesus's new people. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, verse 10, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And that renewal is needed by all of God's people, and all of us are called into it. It doesn't matter where you thought you stood in relation to all these things. A renewal of this nature is needed by each and every one of us. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. We are all called into this gospel life. So don't fall into the trap that thinking, you know, you can somehow adapt this call, tweak it and, and, and tailor it for your own situation. The kinds of things in that paragraph are the adjectives of the old and the dead. If you belong to Jesus, then step into this new. The call to this gospel life is, is not for for people out there, it's for us, brothers and sisters. A fourth mistake that many people make is that they try to privatise this call to the gospel life. Try to take this on, but, but only as a, as a personal set of standards or goals or, or benchmarks. The danger with that private take on this is is that it can easily catalyze those other three mistakes we just talked about because privately we slip more easily into treating this stuff as our gospel rather than our response to the gospel. 
privately without anyone else for accountability, we very easily can just turn off this call altogether. And if we do take it on just privately, how much more likely it is that we will nuance it and, and cherry pick and, and, and tailor this for our own circumstances and make it all read how we're comfortable with it reading rather than to what Jesus calls us to here. This call to ongoing renewal in the gospel life is, is not given to us individually. Sure, don't get me wrong, it is something that each one of us must pursue and we will each one of us be accountable to Jesus for the way we pursued this gospel life. But it is nevertheless given to us here in Colossians chapter 3 in the context of community. Christian community. This is a letter, if you remember, where we started about a month ago, a letter to the church. And so all the verbs here are in the plural form. And every you and your in this text is addressed to the plural you. We pursue these things, each one of us, but in a community together. Because we are called to live this gospel life together. Hence why all of this is very relational in nature, if you look at it again. So, for example, uh, verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. They're relational things, aren't they? All of them. Relational things. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another... Forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you all, so you all must also forgive. And above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Only as we live out the gospel life together are we truly able to capture the relational nature of this new gospel life as Jesus' people. We hone this way of life in this like-minded, Christ-minded community, which then makes us all better placed to model this way of life and relationship to those outside the church too, in our own lives through the week. We learn as we go in this community how to better sharpen each other, encourage each other and strengthen each other for, for this ongoing process of, of putting to death the old and sinful and dead and, and learning more and more how to walk instead in this newness of gospel life. It happens in community. Let the word of Christ dwell in you all richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Modern Christians sometimes respond with, yeah, well, I, I don't really need encouragement or teaching or, or help. I, I'm tracking okay on all this stuff and, and I have thankfulness in my heart. On the one hand, that's 
that's actually a way of subverting this this call to the church and, and deciding that we know better than Jesus, who, who recreated us for his community. And on the other hand, should we not rather be thinking, you know, of others in the church? Others whom we could be helping or encouraging or teaching? Could, could we really think that the new gospel life Jesus saves us into is still just all about ourselves? It's no surprise that we chose this text, by the way, as the basis for our church's members' covenant. This is the call upon us as Jesus' church. Our identity is settled in Christ who died for our sin. Now now we want to take hold of this call to renewal, this this gospel life, and take hold of it as a community of, of his people. We belong to Jesus forever. And we know that this is the way he now wants us to live. Once we have received the gospel, we are called together into the gospel life. In everything we do, verse 17, in everything we do, it should honour the name of Jesus that we bear. This call to the gospel life here in Colossians 3, it's actually the parable of the wedding feast in action. Do, do you know that parable in Matthew 22, the parable of the wedding feast? The king graciously invites all kinds of unworthy people to come and be part of his great wedding banquet. But when the king came in to look at the guests, we read, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, How did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Jesus saves us by his cross. Now he wants to transform us, to renew us in his image, to clothe us now in in his way of life. It's not right for us to go on now living like dead sinners when when Jesus has so graciously brought us in, made us alive and, and called us to be his people. So if you avoid all those mistakes and take this call to the gospel life and take this gospel call seriously and and the right way, then then you will find yourself in a fight. A fight to honour Jesus in your life and the way you live. You belong to him and you belong to him forever and you carry his name forever. By his grace in paying for your sin at the cross, you are his. The only right response to that is to seek to live your life now in line with him. For his glory and the glory of his name, put these things to death. And I want to encourage you today and comfort you today if you are struggling with this fight that our scripture is talking about here. If you are struggling, then take heart, my friend. Because if you weren't struggling, there would be concern. There would be concern that you haven't engaged this fight. 
But if you are struggling, then you do want to honour Jesus with your life. And I commend you. And I say, take strength then. Take strength together with all the saints to live this gospel life. Let me pray for us all. Heavenly Father, we thank you, as always, for the pleasure of having your scripture. But this one today is hard. We pray, Father, that you would help us live this gospel life. Help us not to confuse this call with the gospel itself that saved us. Don't let us come at this wrong, Lord, but but do help us to come and step into this gospel life, to have courage and not be discouraged as we go. Help us to trust your word that it is true and not water it down. Help us to be diligent in these things that you call us to. You've saved us. Teach us now to let you also transform us in your image. We pray too as a church community that you would help us to be caring, watchful, loving and supporting of one another in this this hard fight that you call us into, in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name, we pray and ask for all these things. Amen.